Hello again, you're listening to the news at one. Tornista Leo Varadkar has said that COVID supports for businesses here will continue for as long as is necessary. Supports, including the temporary wage subsidy scheme, have been extended because of continuing pandemic restrictions. Speaking at an event to mark the publication of annual results from the export agency Enterprise Ireland, Mr Varadkar said the government wants businesses to survive and be able to flourish once restrictions are eased and will continue to help those that need it in the meantime. Enterprise Ireland today reported an increase of almost 12,000 in the number of people employed in companies which it supports. It's the highest jobs gain ever recorded by the agency in a year, although the total number of jobs it supports was down because some companies are no longer classed as its clients. The Thornister is in our Dáil studio. Very good afternoon to you, Mr Radcran. Welcome to the programme and a very happy new year to you. You too. We begin uh, perhaps with these Enterprise Ireland figures. It, it is quite remarkable, isn't it, that particularly export-oriented businesses seem to have largely escaped the effects of the pandemic. What's going on? Well, it's, it's really positive news and it shows um, how important it is um, that we continue to support uh, enterprise and free trade because um, that's really helped to save our economy during this difficult period and uh, exporting companies are producing a lot of the revenues that we're now using to help the companies um, and to help the workers that, that are, are in difficulty as a consequence of the pandemic restrictions. Uh, so Enterprise Ireland, just um, if you're, uh, in case your listeners don't, don't, don't know, is an agency that's under the remit of my department. Um, and it works with Irish companies, domestic companies that export abroad. So it's sort of the sister agency, if you like, of the IDA, which works with foreign companies that invest in Ireland. Uh, these are Irish companies, um, domestically based, that export abroad. Uh, there are now about 207,000 people working for Enterprise Ireland companies, almost as many as work in multinationals. Uh, and there's been a net increase um, of 12%, of 12,000 on last mm. year. That's a 6% increase, the best year ever for uh, Irish exporting companies. Um, and crucially, and this is really important um, from the government's point of view from the point of view of supporting balanced regional development uh, is that 68% of the net jobs growth occurred outside of Dublin uh, and the highest levels of growth were in the west, northwest and southeast and often uh, particularly the southeast and the northwest are often regions that uh, don't benefit so much from um, high quality export jobs and that's mm. something that's changing and it's really positive in that sense and we so also launched a, a new three year strategy to build on all of this over the next couple of years So good news on the export front but uh, as you'll accept other businesses are struggling as a result of the pandemic particularly those serving the domestic market. Now the commitment is there from the government to maintain COVID supports, you've used the phrase for as long as is necessary. Under what conditions would they, those supports cease to be necessary? Well, I suppose what the government recognises is that we essentially have two economies at the moment, um, areas that are growing and doing well. Um, that includes the export orientated sectors, um, you know, like tech and digital and um, medical devices and pharma, but also includes areas like construction that are growing as well, retail, which is bouncing back. Um, but some uh, parts of the economy uh, because of the government restrictions um, as a consequence of the virus uh, are really suffering, you know, there are areas like aviation, hospitality, arts, entertainment. People will know the sectors I'm talking about. Um, and the financial supports that we put in place to help those businesses to survive, to help them to keep their staff on, um, in my view, they're very much linked to the restrictions. So, mm-hmm. so long as the restrictions are in place um, restricting the operation of those businesses, then government needs to continue to stand behind those and businesses and their workers uh, and with the financial supports. That and we put when in the place. restrictions end, the supports will end. 
Uh, yes. Um, now, what we've done in the past is when restrictions have been eased, uh, you know, we've had grace periods and uh, we've always said that we'd avoid a cliff edge. And of course, we'll do that because uh, even when the restrictions are gone, um, uh, there has to be, uh, uh, you know, a recovery phase as well. Um, but that's the basic principle is that is that the, the financial supports are linked to the restrictions that are in place. So, so long as we have restrictions on operating hours, um, on capacity, well, then we need to stand behind those businesses uh, and, of course, their staff as well. One restriction, one requirement which seems to be causing particular problems for very, very many businesses and, and other organisations like schools and the health service to some extent as well are the, the rules about close contacts, people mm. who are a close contact of a confirmed case. Now, there's been an update in the guidance from the European Centre for Disease Control uh, at the weekend. The Chief Medical Officer, I think, has been asked to look again at these rules to come back to the government. We expect it will be considered by ministers at, at Cabinet tomorrow. Would you like to see some relaxation of this close contact rule? Um, I, I would, uh, and we've asked the uh, Chief Medical Officer to consider that. Um, I believe some advice is due today, and we'll be able to consider that advice at the Cabinet meeting um, tomorrow morning. Um, essentially, when it comes to any public health advice, you, you know, you have to make sure that it does more good uh, than harm. And we do have a problem at the moment where, uh, for the first time since the pandemic began, some supermarkets have to close uh, because um, staff are out because they're close contacts. Uh, some childcare facilities are closing and uh, people are being denied healthcare in some instances, not because of COVID, but because people are at home, crucial staff are at home um, uh, because they're close contacts and have been told not to go to work. And then, of course, it's causing real practical problems for people as well. You know, if you're told to stay at home for five days, uh, um, you know who, who picks up the kids mm. from school. You know who um, who visits your, your your mother if she's elderly and and and, and needs some help. And so what the, uh, and what the ECDC has suggested at the weekend was that uh, this requirement to self isolate if you're a close contact could be um, uh, there could be a, 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 a relaxation of that. But I mm. quote: where countries face high or extreme pressure on healthcare systems and other functions in society, including essential services. So what what for you defines essential services that would allow some relaxation? Um, well, we do have a definition of that um, already as to what essential uh, services are. Um, uh, but I think it's important when you look at the ECDC advice, which came out at the weekend, there's a very useful table which explains uh, what they're um, suggesting that governments c- can consider as options. And they treat people who are fully vaccinated and boosted differently to those who are not. And then there are three different scenarios depending on the impact that the close contact rules are having uh, on your economy and society. And certainly from my point of view, you know, I think for people who are boosted who've had the third dose uh, who don't have symptoms who have a negative antigen test uh, would make sense to me Mm. for us to allow them to go back to work and also get on with their normal lives on on testing what the ecdc says is that it should be preferably performed by a qualified professional Mm. self-testing with an antigen test is not and i quote considered adequate for releasing somebody from quarantine yeah, and you know these are the things that um, obviously the CMO and his team are going to consider, and they're going to advise us on. Um, I do think we need to relax the rules around close contacts, but I also think we need to do it in a way that is safe. Uh, and um, we're really relying on, on the CMO to come up with the best advice on that, and government will act on that in the morning. And what about some of the wider restrictions, Thornish, about the pandemic restrictions, particularly around hospitality, indoor gatherings, the the so-called eight pm curfew? Mm. When and under what circumstances might that be eased? Well. I think there are grounds for cautious optimism, um, certainly in the medium term. Um, it does. I think it's fairly clear now that 
Omicron is less severe uh, than previous strains of the virus. It's inherently less severe, but also um, uh, also a lot of immunity is built up uh, between vaccines and people being exposed to COVID. Um, and while we're seeing record numbers of cases, um, that's not translating into admissions to hospital, ICU admissions and deaths in the way it did in previous waves. And that is, you know, that that is very assuring. Um, but uh, it's not yet... Uh, Time, time to drop our guard. Um, this is still unfolding. It probably hasn't peaked. Um, we hope that it'll peak, and we expect it to peak uh, through the course of January, and that would then put us in a position to start easing restrictions in February. But this is still unfolding, and, and it's too you, early for that yet. Do you favour a phased easing of restrictions or, or their complete removal all, all in one go, particularly in relation to hospitality? Oh, no, I, I think it would have to be phased. Um, you know, that's been the approach to easing restrictions throughout the pandemic, and uh, I certainly wouldn't do it in one fell swoop. I, I, I'd phase it over over a period of time. Um, but, you know, I think one thing we should acknowledge is that if you look at the way Ireland collectively as society has managed this pandemic, we've um, managed it very well relative to other countries. Um, you can see that in the death rate per million and the case fatality ratio, no matter what measure you use mm. um, in terms of the impact on, on deaths and, and illness, um, there are very few countries in Europe that have performed better, better, better than Ireland. So I think in the round we've got it right with vaccines, with test rate isolation and with the restrictions that we've brought in. Um, but at the same time, they have had a very severe impact on people. Mm. Um, you know, we're probably the only country in, in the world where for two years it hasn't been possible to stand in a bar or, or go to your office if you want to. And, uh, you know, certainly my view is that when it comes to easing the restrictions across the spring and summer, we shouldn't be outliers. You know, we should keep pace with the uh, reopening that we see across Europe. And I wouldn't like um, this to be the third summer in which Ireland has the, strict, the strictest rules in Europe that was justifiable when people weren't vaccinated, when we didn't have vaccines. Um, that wouldn't be justifiable, in my view, this summer. And we should try and keep pace with other European countries, but but do it safely yeah. and do it in a phased way. On another matter, Tonish, the, the recommendation that public service workers would work fewer hours from this summer, unwinding the Haddington Road hours, as they were called, brought in with the economic crisis a, a decade ago. Will the government be implementing this recommendation? The cost has been put mm. uh, for this year alone, if it was to take effect from July, at €180 million. Euro. Uh, I haven't actually seen the report yet, so um, that'll obviously have to be considered by ministers before um, before it goes to government. Um, but, you know, to answer your question, uh, we have had a situation for a number of years where um, a large group of public servants were expected to work hours that they weren't paid for. Um, and that isn't that isn't fair, and that was never intended to be to be permanent. So, you know, I, I think if there's a recommendation from Kieran Mulvey on that, we'll have to move on that. Nobody is really expected to work hours without being paid for them uh, in other parts of the economy and society, and nor, nor should they be. But one concern I would have, and this is quite important, is the total number of working hours, because the norm across the economy and across society is, is a working working week of about 39 hours. If we were to pair back to 37 hours or 35 hours in some cases, we'd need to be sure that that wasn't going to have a negative impact on public services. You know, the last thing we need now is, is fewer home help hours, fewer speech and language hours, um, you know, less uh, time for Gardy to be on the beat, all of those things. So we'd have to see this uh, in the round and make sure that anything we do doesn't impact negatively on, on the quality of public services. And just while we're on working hours, what's happened about the extra bank holiday? I think you'd mentioned that perhaps this year it could be given around the St. Patrick's uh, Day weekend. Is, is that still on the agenda? Yeah, no formal decision made yet, but um, what we're working on is a proposal to have a double bank holiday um, 
uh, for St. Patrick's Day, so that would be the 17th and 18th of March, and then a new permanent bank holiday um, for St. Bridget's Day, which will come into effect on 2023. Um, but we just haven't pushed the button on that yet. You know, we're still fighting this pandemic. Um, it's not over yet. Um, and mm-hmm. the purpose of the day will be a day, uh, you know, to remember those who've been lost and to recognise all of the people who've done phenomenal work during this period. And uh, it just seems that it's too early to make the decision on that, given that this is not yet over. Just, just finally, uh, Mr. You're due to take over as Taoiseach next uh, December. C- can that happen if you're still being investigated by Gardaí over the alleged leak of the GP contract? Because Roisin Short, all of the Social Democrats, was suggesting at the weekend that there'd be a problem if the investigation was ongoing at that stage. Well, to be to be frank with you, Brian, that's not my focus at the moment. Um, that's almost a year away, and uh, I have a job to do as Minister for Enterprise, Trade, and Employment, um, protecting businesses, uh, saving jobs, creating jobs, um, making sure that Ireland uh, is increasing a share of trade around the world. And I have my commitments uh, and my job as leader of Fine Gael and as uh, TD for Dublin West, and that's my focus at the moment. I'm not um, not thinking about eleven months' time at all at the moment. Donna Leo Varadkar, thanks for talking to us here on the Thank News you. at One.